0: Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, it's that time of year. The new season is here. And so got to bring on what's become a regular guest at this time of year. Todd Taylor of the Indiana Pacers. He's a senior vice president, chief sales
1: and marketing officer. It's a long title. Well, it is, and I certainly appreciate you having me back. It is turning into an annual thing, so I always look forward to this uh, this podcast. What Thanks. do you what do you say at dinner parties when you're meeting people? Well, you just know, senior vice president. You know, it really depends on who it is. <laughs> Usually, I just say, you know, I work in sales and marketing, and leave it at that. You know, if they if they find out that I'm running the whole thing, then uh, there's there's plenty of um, positives and negatives they get into. So I try and keep it as brief as I can. So this is a big year for this franchise.
0: Every year is, but this a little more special, I think, is the way to put it than any other because it's the 50th celebration. So not only are you celebrating the new team, Nate McMillan-led team, But you're also looking back a little bit. What is this? How do you define what this season means to yourself and this organization?
1: Well, I think it's huge. It's something we've certainly been looking forward to. Obviously, every year is exciting because you always get new players. You never know exactly how you're going to put a roster together. So there's the general excitement of the season. And then really when you layer it on and have an opportunity to celebrate the history of a franchise, I think that's pretty remarkable. You know, I've been here, um, it's my sixth season now. So if you really think about it, I've been here about 10% of the entire time the franchise has been around. So I think it's a great opportunity opportunity for all us, us, all of us to uh, learn about the franchise, but also get some of the stories out there and have our fans share in the uh, the celebration and, and honor some people along the way.
0: So this time last year, the, the main reason to have you on was the Hickory festivities and everything mm-hmm. that went into all of that. That was a great, great idea. And it's going to continue on. It was a, a short term deal.
1: So it'll continue on at least in a couple more years. Looking back on that, was that just cool? You know, I think it really was. It was uh, it was good because I think our fans um, really appreciated it. I also think uh, one of the things that we didn't anticipate that certainly happened was, you know, visitors to Indiana, when they came in here for conventions, um, they may or may not be Pacers fans. So when they would come by, a lot of them would go ahead and buy the uh, the Hickory um, apparel simply because they really are fans of the, uh, the film itself, or they might be an NBA fan, they might be a Pacers fan. So I think a lot, a lot of people to participate. You know, at the end of the day, we ended up... Um, Um, I think having uh, Hickory sales in 49 of the 50 states, apparently there aren't a lot of either Hoosiers fans or Pacers fans in Alaska. Alaska, there you go, you got it. it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So (laughs) had we known that, maybe we would have tried to promote a little bit harder out there. But, um, you know, regardless, I I think it was something that really – you know, the idea behind it in the first place was really to draw attention to some of the great stories in the state of Indiana that makes basketball so special. So, you know, it certainly gave us a platform to be able to do that, and we honored some some great teams out there, obviously Mylan and Crispus Attucks and, and um, some individuals along the way. So it was a lot of fun, and we're excited to bring it back.
0: And so there'll be another group of hickory games, and more importantly, to this 50th season celebration, what you guys are calling decade games. Tell me about that concept and what went into this idea, Todd. Sure
1: yeah this is uh, it 's been a lot of fun. You mentioned the Hickory games last year, and we changed out the entire sort of look of the arena, the field house, if you will, with uh, new banners and new colors and and uh, something completely different for us so um, as I told Jerry Horn and his group that 's responsible for switching those out it 's uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Mm-hmm. so instead of switching it out um, <laughs> into two looks we 're actually going to have about eight this year. so uh, when we bring the decade games in, there will be a whole new uh, set of banners that obviously reflect our decade celebration. Uh, Hickory will be back with new banners and a new look for those game experiences. And then obviously our, our 50th overarching, which is really, um, you know, our current team falls into that mix. So we have in, in some ways uh, almost three different types of games, if you will, this year. So um, it will be exciting, but it will be fast paced and um, probably very tiring for all of us on the uh, the business side.
0: But we do see great results, I think, every time one of those nights happened, It's fun also for me to talk with the other beat reporters. They're like, we see so many of these corny pride uniforms or goofy nights to get people in. Mm -hmm. This one's actually cool. We enjoy the intro video, the uniforms, because everybody that follows basketball has seen Hickory. And so now talking about the decade games, what was the process like for your group to select who would be the bobblehead, beginning with uh, Slick Leonard opening night, and then the first decade game will be Roger Brown uh, for the 1960s decade?
1: Yeah, when we looked at it, you know, again, when you're trying to tackle 50 years of of history, that's a lot. And, um, you know, certainly you can spread that out with social media and and digital and all those types of ways to tell the story, podcasts. Um, But what we really wanted to be able to do so we could focus on each one of those decades is to dedicate one game per month throughout the season so that we could really um, focus in on that one decade and make sure that we covered a lot of the great storylines that happened. So, you know, mention mentioned Slick Leonard on opening night. Um, we certainly couldn't think of a better person that's been the f- uh, face of the franchise for nearly every one of no those question. 50 years. You know, certainly um, y- you can't have the Pacers without Slick and Nancy, and I think um, it only makes sense to be able to honor them. But, you know, along the way, we'll also have uh, uh, members of the first ownership group and and Mike Storen, the first GM of the team, will be here on opening night so we can sort of pay a little bit of tribute. And then as we lead into uh, the first game there in, in November, um, you know, Roger Brown certainly will be a bobblehead, and uh, we will go ahead and, and program the entire game around the 60s so you'll see the pacemates much like in their hickory uniforms last year um, they will be dressed in more uh, 60s style uh, pacemate attire uh, music selection videos um, obviously the banners as i mentioned so we'll really try and uh, spend that one night really focusing on the 60s so we can really blow it out Uh, and then again you know as we go into december the 70s 80s 90s so forth and so on until we get to our current team Uh, In the 2000s, there in April. So uh, I think it allows us to really be able to get hyper focused on that. It also allows us to draw a lot of content out in the marketplace. A lot of people have fond memories of the ABA days, uh, the early years of the Pacers, and and this gives them a, a forum to be able to share some of those stories.
0: Another new thing that is an enticement for fans to get to the arena and also maybe have a better experience is a couple new additions physical additions to Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Number one we'll talk about is the Lightbound Courtside Club. I knew it years ago as the best locker room. Most recently, it was the Locker Room Restaurant. And it's really been fun to come here each day for practice and be able to track some of the progress made to this big undertaking. The walls are now blue. There's giant TVs, a open bar booths to have more of an intimate feel. A really cool atmosphere here. What went into the creation and redesign now of what has become the Lightbound Club.
1: You know, it's something that we've been talking about for a little while. Obviously, you know, we think Banker's Life Fieldhouse is the best building in the NBA, and and, uh, certainly our our facilities team keeps it in in tip-top shape, but, you know, really what ends up happening over a period of time is is fan behavior changes, so I think teams really have to be forward thinking about how they can repurpose some of their space, Uh, so certainly the locker room restaurant um, being rebranded, the Lightbound Courtside Club uh, made a lot of sense. That's obviously a, a very popular place for our courtside season seat holders and uh, we felt like you know with the building being open and and, uh, since 99 and that really that space unchanged for a long period of time it was due for a, a renovation of sorts so I think people going down there for the first time and you know you mentioned the tv screens um, I think they're going to be blown away. I think uh, Mel Raines and, and her team, uh, they led the construction project. I don't know how they got it done. You know, you watch all these home improvement shows on <laughs> yep. HGTV, and and they can flip a house on a weekend. Obviously, it takes a lot of work, but um, they stayed on top of it. And I think when people get down there, it'll be almost impossible for them to recognize the place. How has the consumer changed
0: their viewing habits over the last, let's say, decade? Mm-hmm. And, and the challenge for you guys to bring in not just a game but an entertainment experience when they enter this building.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's something we focus on all the time. It's you know amazing when I first started in this business in, in the nineties, um, really it was about you know putting the right games in a package and, and pricing it the right way and you, you put an ad on TV or a billboard, a newspaper, and you were pretty well done. You know, obviously the secondary market and transparency now, people able to get tickets um, and other channels besides the team. Um, obviously, the home viewing experience all, all plays into this. So I think teams really uh, need to focus on a great experience. That obviously, um, you know, w- with the wonderful home viewing, um, the one thing that you can't sort of replicate is being in a crowd. Uh, we talked about the other day. Uh, something remarkable has to happen if you're watching in a sports bar to, to high five the person sitting yeah. at the table next yeah. door. Um, but you know, here at, at, at the field house a great play will cause people to come together. So there's a really community feel. But on top of that, it has to be something that's really, really special and. Uh, I think we've spent a lot of time starting with our Elevate program with Disney and the overall fan experience and the human touch of it. Um, Rick Fusen, my boss, likes to say uh, we're a high-touch, low-tech building, uh, at least in the past we were, and as he points out, we're certainly becoming much more high-tech as well. So, And that's only going to change, you know, the way people consume the game. We're, we're in an interesting period of time where we have – kind of the traditional um, season seat holders that, that uh, have been with us a long time. And then at the very new end, you have people that are coming out of college, and the way they consume the game, yep. um, the seats that they like to sit in, the experience that they like to have is, is completely different. So I, I think it's really difficult to balance. Um, what we, we sort of call it um, uh, mass customization if there's such a thing. You know, We, we certainly have a, a lot mm-hmm. of people in here, and we want each one of them to feel like they have a unique experience. Is it
0: true more now than any time before that maybe like a a 12 game ticket package has become the most popular because there's so many entertainment options and you for sure want to go to 12, but can you commit to 41? Especially with the younger age brackets.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, I, I look back to sort of me growing up. I grew up just north of Dayton, Ohio, so I was a Bengals and a Reds fan. And and uh, on the rare occasions that we were able to get tickets to, to either one of those places, we would pretty much, my family would drop everything that we were doing and we'd make sure we got down there. And, and I think now, um, you know, having a, a 15-year-old son, so a freshman in high school, and I have a daughter in seventh grade and a son in third grade, I know how busy families are. Yeah. So I, I think the one thing that when we talk about competition and there's – Always, this, you know, is the Speedway competition or the Colts competition, the Indians, the Fuel, um, you know, what's competition? Uh, Well, really, it's time. I think that um, certainly uh, in a market like ours that Sports Crazy, each one of those properties uh, sort of get their own fans. But I think it all comes down, too, to how you balance your time away from sports and your, your family life and all those things that you have sort of pulling at you. So, you know, we certainly have found smaller plans, more customized experience, certainly better. Uh, for, for a majority of our fans. Obviously, the corporate community, um, they, they still consume full season tickets Absolutely. because they have a lot more ways to use them. But I think the consumer itself, um, the, the core consumer that might be a Pacers fan, they're certainly looking at uh, fewer games. And, and for a great experience, they certainly don't make, mind paying a premium on the price for those. You
0: mentioned uh, the, the potential of competition. I don't see it that way either because how connected – I think it's unique to Indianapolis, but how connected you guys are. You go to the Indy 500, George Hill was there. Miles Turner was there. Glenn Robinson III was there. You go to the Colts game, and and Pacer players are there. They're honoring their Olympians. When the Fever won their WNBA championship back in 2012, they put up a big uh, promotion on a video board congratulating them. Indianapolis Indians are the same way. Mm
1: -hmm. From your experience in working in other sports cities, is this unique you know i really think it is you know and i think part of that's being in the midwest and i think um it was funny when i worked for the trailblazers in oregon uh, one of the things i'd run into people and they'd say so what do you guys do on the weekend and it was always uh, do you guys kayak or, or mountain climb or you know swim in the ocean and we're like well we, we watch sports on tv you know i mean so i i think that when you're in the midwest uh, sports is such a, a big fabric and i think What's really unique here is all the teams really work well together. So, um, you know, obviously when we get in a playoff run, uh, the Colts have been really, really great about sort of promoting it with the Fever. Um, Indy11, actually, in their playoffs, they're going to come over here and we're going to uh, give them a little shout-out as well. Nice. So I think there's certainly a spirit of cooperation, and we want to make sure that um, that uh, all the sports properties are, are really being supported by the fans. And as I said, we don't view it as competition at all. We think it's, it's really good when people have um, – Uh, 12 months of sports options, if you will. You mentioned how the
0: ticket buyer has plenty of options, whether it's get it through work or or buy a package themselves or the secondary market. Now that it's become the norm, from a franchise's view, is secondary market good because – Tickets are being used. Ultimately,
1: yeah, you know, I, that, that's a always a, a huge conversation. And I think, um, and I think we've had this conversation mm-hmm. in the past. You know, sport on the outside seems pretty easy, right? So your your team wins some games, uh, people get excited, they call you up, and they want to buy tickets, and you just take their sixteen digits on their credit card, and, and it's really easy. My favorite question that I always get is, "What do I do in the summer?" Um, you know, like I'm out vacationing someplace. Uh, you know, we're certainly very, very busy in the summer, so. No, I think the secondary market obviously is a a huge factor now in the complexity of our business. And I think, um, I don't know if it's good or bad necessarily, but it's here to stay. So I think it, it depends on how teams are strategic in their approach. You know, I, I think... Um, I think we saw Philadelphia partner with StubHub mm-hmm.
0: so that that is their ticket experience. You go... You buy their, your ticket through StubHub, if I
1: understand it correctly. Correct, yeah. So uh, StubHub, in their particular case, and I don't know all the particulars, but it's the, StubHub is really their primary and secondary um, marketplace. So we actually have the same thing with Ticketmaster. We have a t- Ticketmaster Plus so that all of our fans can post their tickets for resale so that our, our consumers coming to Pacers.com can see the primary market, which is obviously being sold by us, and the secondary market, which is really being fueled by the fans that have already purchased our tickets. So... Um, you know, I think what it does is it's, again, it's changed sort of how the consumer has um, opted to purchase their tickets. There's a lot of opportunities out there. If you go online, uh, the challenge for us is making sure that people know that you can still get tickets through Pacers.com. Um, so when you get search engines and all those things and, and uh, you it says Pacers tickets 60% off, um, those certainly aren't from us, but that might be a way for uh, someone that participates in the secondary market to get eyeballs on their ad and hopefully sell some of the tickets that they have. So, um, you know, I I think the good thing for the consumer is um, there really isn't a sold-out game anymore. So I think if you want to go to a game, um, you can certainly get We're there. We're
0: seeing that with the Cubs right now, aren't we? Exactly. You can get in, but you're going to be set back in
1: $3,500. Yeah, and, you know, the hardest part really is balancing the business with the fan because I think that, you know, when you look at it uh, purely from kind of a commercial standpoint, the secondary market um, really allows people to, to – right price the tickets, if you will. So obviously there's massive demand with this uh, this World Series coming up with Chicago and Cleveland. Um, what it does, though, is it makes it diff- difficult on sort of your traditional fans. So, um, you know, obviously we get plenty of phone calls and, and people say, hey, I'd really love to get those tickets to Golden State. And um, Except they say, I-, I like that game, maybe like December 22nd. <laughs> Any chance you have that one and you look and it's Golden State. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, so it makes it really tough because we obviously have a lot of um, hardcore Pacers fans and and they'll come to any single game that we we put out there or you know again if they have free time they'll, they'll certainly get here. Um, but those Pacers fans also want to see great teams come in here, and the secondary market sometimes um, really allows um, the, the tickets to be maximized in terms of uh, price. Not uh, oftentimes through us, we try and keep our, our tickets uh, pretty low in our marketplace, but um, it really increases the, the cost to go to one of those big games, and it's hard to really protect that inventory for what you would consider to be your core fan. But as I said, that's, that's sort of the reality of the world now. Um, and you're seeing it in every single um, sports team in every league in the United States.
0: Talk about inventory. Another change people will notice at Bankers Life Fieldhouse is the south end of the fieldhouse, where seven suites have been turned into one big space. It's now the Sales Group Loft. And let's hit on this and the decision behind that. And I assume all kinds of research was done in the buying habits of
1: more so corporate partners. Yeah, you know, again it goes back to that sort of uh, changing uh, fan behavior, you know, and it's if you're in the business long enough Um, Everything old is new again. So uh, I'm sure eventually someday, you know, 20 years from now, we'll take the Sales Group Loft and we'll turn it back into suites because our our fans will want their own private little booths. But what we're finding right now is people do want an exclusive experience, but they also want a shared experience. Uh, So, you know, obviously um, what people really want to be able to do is is create a a great environment when they're entertaining their their friends and family and customers, but they still want to be part of the action. So uh, the Sales Group Loft really allows us to have two different seating products, um, both of them have um, a room for four fans and there's a shared club in the back that's all-inclusive food beverage um, so when you walk in there you can mix with a bunch of other fans and then you can retreat to your own either theater box which are, are stacked sort of oversized um uh, chairs. and Or you can step a few steps down and go into the actual main seating bowl and sit right above uh, Bright House Legends. Um, there's basically new loge boxes. And it's like okay. sitting at a counter, if you will. It has uh, TV screens at each end and castored chairs. So it's sort of the the, the best of both worlds as well. And plug-ins, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything that's, has to be plugged critical. in. Now. I know, I know. <laughs> you, you, you've worked uh, all day and you haven't had a chance to charge your phone so you get there. Uh, we certainly want to be able to have you be able to get a hold of the people you need to. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in some ways, and you know it better than I do. Um, everybody's trying to take your job. There's, there's, uh, you know, eighteen thousand reporters in can, here. <laughs> how many people can post photos
0: or a video of something they saw, or or they just want to post? I think it's hashtag Pacers game night, and so they can see their face
1: on the giant video board. Exactly, and, and that again, that's what's so fun about this industry now because uh, with technology and and all the things that you can offer fans, they can really get involved with the game. That's where that mass customization comes in because you know there'll be plenty of people that don't want to see their face on the, the Jumbotron um, but certainly um, there's plenty are and now we've given people an outlet to be able to do that.
0: And another area, this one impacts everyone that uh, attends a game, is a, a new service, an application really for your phone that's called the Wait Time app where you can go in and then there's also monitors, I believe, throughout this venue here where you can see, hey, I want a smoothie. Where do I go? Oh, that one's packed. Oh, they're, if on the east end, maybe it's less so packed. And so I think there's that. And then there's also the analytics part of it that is encouraging for you. And you can find out, well, no one goes to this one or at halftime, this one is swamped. We need an extra person. Am
1: I correct in that kind of thinking? Absolutely. You know, And, and it is really cool technology. There's two ways to really access it. We do have um, basically television monitors turned on their sides when you walk out of each one of the vomitories. uh, There'll be a big board sort of letting you know um, which directions the restrooms are, where the concession stands are, and and not only which direction they are, but how long is your anticipated wait. So um, I think it's just another one of those things trying to to really create uh, ease for our fans, but also um, a customized experience. So uh, you know, with the app, we really try and uh, the Pacers app. And if people don't have it, they should go download it and do all those things because it's a great way to interact with us. But. Uh, it certainly allows us to be able to tell people where their favorite items are throughout the building. And then uh, obviously we want them in the seats. So as we quickly as we can get them out there to, to get their favorite food item or drink, uh, hit the restroom and then get back in the seats, we certainly want to make sure that they're there for the great Pacers basketball action. How widespread do you think
0: something like that is at this point? I think this is another example of you guys being ahead of the curve. You had the video board before. Most teams in the mm-hmm. league. We'll talk about the St. Vincent Center. You broke ground on that well before most teams in the league. To me, this seems like yet another example.
1: It, it is, and I think we try and uh, certainly be front edge. I think we've invested a lot recently in technology. Obviously, the scoreboard was sort of the, the first jumping in point, but Ed Frederici, who's recently joined us, he's our chief technology officer. Uh, he certainly brings a lot of knowledge and, and sort of insight from outside the sports industry. So I think he's used to being on that front edge. He has a Salesforce background, so um, I think that. Uh, They're used to being innovative, so I think that's really helped us. Um, I think you'll see more, you know, a lot of times we try and be first, but we also want to make sure that when we bring it to our fans, um, it works pretty well. So uh, we typically try and be in the top five in terms of adoption. Um, You know, when we feel like we can be first and be very effective being first, we'll certainly be first. But the most important thing for us is not just being able to say that we have technology. It's really having it be able to impact our fan in a positive way.
0: Outside of Bankers Life Fieldhouse, across Delaware Street, construction is ongoing with the $50 million practice facility, the St. Vincent Center, uh, that is expected to be completed by next summer. Is there anything new to touch on when it comes to the St. Vincent Center at this point?
1: Yeah, much like the uh, Lightbound Courtside Club, it just amazes me how much uh, gets accomplished and, and almost what seems overnight. So like you know, Nine months in maybe now? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, obviously teams are talking about sort of early adopters. I think we're sort of in the, the front edge of these uh, uh, team-specific practice facilities. Obviously St. Vincent's going to be a great partner and have a presence downtown. Um, I know our basketball group is really excited. And, and last check, um, I think uh, when we're, we're – uh, Playing in the finals will be able to practice in that building, is at least the goal. So uh, it'd be really, really nice to get some practice time in there and uh, maybe win a title this year.
0: It's outside this district, but same goes for the Mad Ants. They're getting a brand new practice facility, their own court, it's a brand new heart. Like those are little things I was talking to Coach Steve Ganzi yesterday at practice. He's excited about, and that adds to the togetherness of this whole organization. The Pacers Fever. And as of the last year and a half or so, the Mad Ants.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that we're very fortunate about. When you have um, uh, several great franchise, all basketball-related, there's a lot of sharing that goes into that. Uh, there's a lot of learnings that can be passed around each one of those. And obviously you can use it to build your business completely, uh, whether that's on the team side or the, or the business side itself. So, you know, obviously the investment in Mad Ants and, and really the upgrades there for the players. Um, you know, obviously I, I think basketball wants to be able to expose um, the guys that are going to be in Fort Wayne to, uh, Indiana. Indiana, uh, so that they know what to expect when they get here. I know there's um, a, a huge desire to be able to sort of create that next wave of Pacers players coming out of the Matt Ants organization. So, um, so far it's been really great. There's uh, um, a new leadership there. Uh, Tim Bauman um, with, uh, came out of minor league baseball, so he's done a great job on the business side. And obviously, um, you know, the basketball side is great there as well. So we're very excited.
0: One thing that I did want to hit on with you, because you are a marketing guy at heart, Is Paul George being on the cover of NBA 2K? I think, number one, that's huge for the basketball side of things because they can say, hey, it doesn't matter where you play. If you're a good enough player, you can land the endorsements. Having a Pacers logo front and center on the cover of a game sold worldwide – what kind of impact can you see that happening, both on the Pacers and for Paul?
1: Well, I think it's huge. There's no doubt that you know Paul is extremely talented as a player, but I also think that he's extremely marketable. Um, you know, putting on my marketing hat, there. I mean, you know, he's certainly very articulate. I think that he uh, does a great job in front of the camera. I think uh, behind the camera, away from the camera, he's actually a really good guy. So I think that resonates, and that also comes through in the things that he's a part of. Um, You know, obviously Gatorade was huge, uh, him being the face of that. And the commercials last year with Joe Young, I think were were really, really great. Um, Obviously 2K, um, that's been massive. Anytime you're on the the cover of a video game that's played worldwide. Um, So it's great for not only Paul, but certainly we share in that. Um, You know, obviously we I think, first saw that the sports was evolving with Reggie. And uh, Reggie was sort of one of those athletes that only needs one name. So I think that, um, you know, PG, when you start referring to people either by nickname or a first name, they're pretty big and, and we certainly benefit from that
0: that's i know it's a busy time of year we hit on uh, dozens of topics i'm sure you got meetings and people to take care of i appreciate you visiting with us again as we uh, look forward to a new season
1: uh, absolutely happy to talk with you anytime thanks a lot for having me
0: my thanks again to todd taylor for visiting with me ahead of the pacers season opener it's at home Wednesday, October 26th against the Dallas Mavericks. Listen to both new and archived episodes of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and more. Wherever you like to listen to your podcast, we have you covered. And while you're there, if you don't mind, especially on iTunes... Please leave a review. And that will do it for this week's episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers Podcast. Hard to believe the season is finally here, but man, thank goodness that it is. I'll talk to you again next week.